Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White, and this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello, and welcome to episode 70 of The Science of Motherhood. I'm your host, Dr. Renee White. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, As you will probably know if you've listened to the other episodes this month, our focus here at the Science of Motherhood is maternal mental health. Oh, we have got an amazing guest for you today. But before we jump into that episode, I just wanted to say for all of those mums who celebrated Mother's Day over the weekend, I hope you had a very restful day and that you were given lots of love and attention. I also acknowledge the fact that it can be a very, very difficult time of year for a range of women, whether it be the fact that you are going through fertility challenges, you've got an estranged relationship with your own mother, maybe you're a motherless daughter and you've lost your your mum, my thoughts go out to you. It is, you know, some say a hallmark celebration each year, but for others it is not. But I see you and I hope that you still had an enjoyable day on Sunday. I also wanted to take this opportunity to let you know that at Fill Your Cup, which is our postpartum doula village here in Australia, um, we service Melbourne and Tassie and New South Wales, so Sydney. We have just released a new resource on our website. It's called the quickie guide. (laughs) And essentially the quickie came about because I kept, I kept getting people say to me, okay, Renee, I've got my hospital bag checklist. Like I've downloaded that off Pinterest or, um, you know, another kind of website, but I don't have a checklist for the fourth trimester. I don't have a guide on what life is going to be, or I haven't done any postpartum planning, where do I start? I know there's lots of podcasts and there's all these books that people recommend. And, you know, the lady down the street told me this, that, and the other. I don't know. I just need a place to start. And so with that, we have created what we call the quickie. So the quickie is our go-to guide for your best fourth trimester. So it is essentially covering things like recipes to fill your freezer like a doomsdayer. <laughs> I want to see freezers, fridges, pantries full of food for like at least two weeks when you have a newborn baby. It's got tips and resources on feeding, whether that be breastfeeding, bottle feeding. It's got conversation starters around how relationships are going to change in your house, not only between you and your partner, but 
you know, how to transition toddlers, how to transition your pets, how to set boundaries with perhaps overbearing um, mother-in-laws and things like that. It also gives you a bit of a self-care checklist. So how are you going to create time and space for yourself? Because we know from the research that mothers who take 30 minutes per week, yes, you heard me, only 30 minutes per week. And I know that's really, really challenging, particularly when you have a barnacle baby like I did. But the research tells us that women who take 30 minutes per week in the first 12 months after their baby has arrived, you are three times less likely to develop postnatal depression symptoms. So self-care is really important. And similar to a haircut or getting your nails done or having a coffee with a friend, you need to pencil it in. If it's in your diary, you are more likely to actually get it done and execute and stick to it. So We've got tips in there around self-care and lots of lots of other resources. The the quickie guide is free. So head over to our website, ifillyourcup.com, and you will see in the top banner, it says grab the quickie, our go-to guide for the fourth trimester. Pop your details in and you can download that straight away and feel free to share that with friends and family because I know (laughs) how important it is to game plan for your best fourth trimester. The other thing I just wanted to drop in is that if you are in Melbourne on the weekend of the 17th and 18th of June, then Fill Your Cup will be at the Pregnancy and Baby Expo at the big exhibition centre there in Melbourne CBD. We are going to be having some never seen before specials on our Choc Goji lactation cookie mixes, as well as our creamy coconut dal and postpartum sits. So if you want to grab yourself a bargain, we are going to have exclusive specials for the Pregnancy and Baby Expo. So without further ado, today's guest on the theme of maternal mental health is none other than Katrina Lacandro. Now, Katrina is the marketing and comms manager from the Liptemba Foundation, which is Australia's most trusted source and respected leader when it comes to women's mental health. So the foundation works alongside a community of experts and advocates and allies, and they raise and distribute funds that support critical women's mental health outcomes including programs and initiatives and support services and a ton of research, which is what you'll hear about in today's episode. Some amazing stats. Since 2010, the Liptemba fundraising campaign has raised over $12 million of vital funding for these outcomes by encouraging people to wear lipstick. You might have seen this quite recently. Koshi on Channel 7's Sunrise popped some lippy on to create some awareness for for the Lip Timber Foundation. I think that went viral. (laughs) 
(laughs) So as I said, this foundation is just amazing. And in today's episode, a particular report caught my eye a few months back and it was the Mental Health Gender Gap Research Brief that Liptemba collated and the stats were for 2022 and some of the things I was reading was just insane. Like I was thinking, oh my goodness. Like you kind of, I was shocked, but then on reflection, I was not surprised. So for example, one in two Australian women are currently experiencing a mental illness and 50% of that 50% of those women are facing a severe mental illness. So that's 25% of women across Australia are facing a severe mental illness. Now that is just astonishing. And I guess one of the reasons why I really liked this gender gap research brief is the fact that a lot of research is not centered around just women. It's not focused and has a gendered lens towards women. And as you will hear in the interview, you know, women go through like, you know, some very kind of individualized episodes during their lives. Things like fertility, pregnancy, menstruation, menopause, perimenopause, all of those things are unique to women. And so with those comes very kind of individualized mental health issues and things that are kind of, you know, related specifically to them. So Liptember has gone out and put together a research brief based around women's experiences across Australia. And some of the stats that you will hear are quite astounding. But the most important thing is, and this is what I really, really love about Liptember, is that they've collated this data and they're doing this annually now. They've collated this data and they've gone, okay, with this data, we are going to do X. We are going to put funding towards research on, you know, X, Y, Z to kind of bridge that gap and make sure that the issues that are, I guess, at the forefront of women and their mental health are being funded and that we are addressing those problems first. So it's a wonderful, wonderful foundation. Katrina was an absolute dream to have on the podcast and I'm very keen to see what the new data says in June for the 2023 data. We will most likely, <laughs> let's be honest, we're going to have it back on the podcast because I'm like so, I'm a science nerd. I'm so data-driven. I want to see the changes. I want to see what's going on. And, you know, it's also really nice as a metric to go, okay, well, we fund this project or this initiative to try and bridge this gap? Are we moving the needle? What else do we have to do? And that's truly what I love about Liptember. They are so holistic around identifying the problem, getting the cash, and hopefully moving that needle to optimise mental health for women across Australia. So, without further ado, here is Katrina Lacandro from the Liptemba Foundation. Hello 
and welcome to the podcast, Katrina Lacandro. How are you, darling? I'm so well. (laughs) I'm great, thanks. That is amazing. Now, for all those playing at home, this week live, it is Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week. And so it is apt that we are having guests like you on the podcast. Now, Katrina, you are the Marketing and Comms Manager for Liptember Foundation, which is a women's mental health organization here within Australia. And I first reached out to you after I saw, I don't even know how it kind of came across I'm going to say my desk, but it would have been like, you know, my emails or something that I saw. <laughs> but it was the Liptember Foundation's Mental Health Gender Gap Report. And I guess the byline to that is understanding women's mental health in Australia, mental health issues, triggers, stigma faced by Australian women, non-binary and female identifying people in 2022. And I reached out to the foundation after I read it, all 32 pages. And yes, people. it's a beast. (laughs) I I absolutely did read it because I was like, this is fascinating because if you're a long-time listener and or if you follow Fill Your Cup on Instagram, on socials, you will always see me banging on about the fact that not enough research is done in the women's health arena. It's typically not sexy enough, apparently. Yeah, I hear that too. (laughs) Yes, yes. And so when I saw this report, I was like, hot damn, we're going to have to get these people on the podcast because I'm all about spreading the good word. So (laughs) (laughs) and you were so like, you were so open to like coming on and talking about it. And we are going to, deep dive into a few particular, I guess, top findings and some issues that were raised and some changes as well in the stats because this is not the first time you've done this report. This is an annual thing, right, Katrina? Yeah, so the 2022 research will be is the first of its kind. We yeah. will be launching the next round in mm. 2023 later in June. So, yeah, it, it's an exciting space for us and I think a really important thing to note is the why, like why we did it. Yes. You've, you've really, you've captured it, right? There's not enough out there that's women specific. It's so generalized, surface level. And we're like, well, we're the leader in women's mental health in Australia. If no one else is going to do it, we're going to roll up our sleeves and let's get this research done. So mm. it was a massive undertaking for us, but we are so glad that we've done it because now we have the baseline so that each year we can go, right, are we actually, are we turning turning the tides here? Are we, are we making a difference? And is are these stats changing, uh, changing for the better or the worse? Where do we need to start addressing through funding what areas really need a lot of focus? And so that's really what the, the end game is for doing this research. But also it's to say that, well, women, where women are very inherently different to men in a lot of facets. And Mm -hmm. just from a biological point of view, life stages and socioeconomic um, political factors as well, there are a lot of different things about being female 
that when you apply that gendered lens to mental health and mental illness, you can have such a better understanding of the support services necessary for women mm-hmm. versus any other gender and yeah. increase the well-being of those women just by tailoring those services based on their needs and, you know, prevention programs as well and research. Like how do we apply this gendered lens to something that's really important, which is mental health, and mental health is important for any gender. Mm. But how do we make it so tailored for these specific women that they can actually get the benefits out of the treatments and the diagnosis and the, the process that is trying to get on top of your mental well-being? Absolutely. And that's what I really loved about this. And, you know, as I said at the beginning, we're going to talk about things like, PCOS, endometriosis, that's obviously been in the media recently. We've Mm -hmm. got, finally, finally, we've got some specialized kind of health centers that people who experience endo can go to. We've had, yes, we've had experts on the podcast previously, Dr. Stephanie um, Perotta, who's talked about the lifestyle factors and things like that. And whilst we haven't had a huge deep dive into the mental health, I guess, implications of endo. I know, for example, my sister has endo. And for a very long time, you know, it was just a classic case of get on with it. Mm-hmm. Not that acknowledgement of, you know, the, I guess, the first of all, the physical and the the symptoms of it, but how it impacted everything else in her life, you know, physical activity, getting to school, getting to work, you know, having relationships, all of that kind of stuff that is unique to women. So I loved the fact that you were looking at that and then, you know, pregnancy, menopause. And I think we're going to deep yeah. dive into menopause because that yeah. is kind of one of the topics that I really want to have a look at. Can you just explain to the listeners, I guess, you know, when we see a report like this, where, uh, you know, what, how did, how did it all come about? How many people did you survey? How did the survey take place? You know, was it all yeah. across Australia? Was it more concentrated in particular areas? Like, how do you undertake something so colossal like this? <laughs> you engage professional researchers to Correct. undertake <laughs> something this colossal. <laughs> and to make sure that it's statistically valid, we Very make important. sure Yeah, that we've got the whole gamut of things. So our sample size was around 4,000. We had women from across Australia, regional, remote and metro. We also had specific breakdowns of age from 14 to 60 plus. So 14 Mm. to I think it was 100 or something, but not very many people in that top top bracket. Mm. Um, But yeah, and made sure that we matched the same quotas as the ABS statistic data on, you know, to get the general consensus of what an Australian woman is in each state. So making sure that we're meeting those um, different quotas per state. So it was, yeah, it was very in-depth. <laughs> it's all in the research if you really um, if you're really keen to find out the breakdowns and how many people in which in which areas. But also it was done qualitatively, so with focus groups as well as quantitative research as well. So this is for the first one, we wanted to make it as informed as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it really sets that baseline going forward. Mm. Okay. Well, you know, I'm all, I'm, I'm a scientist by trade. So like, I love me a stat. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love me an N equals 4,000. So mm. that's really, really, and again, this is like, this is why we do this podcast is to kind of educate the public around the fact that just because someone presents a piece of data, anyone can shove numbers into an Excel spreadsheet and hit graph, right? Totally. But you've got to, you've got to look at the quality of the data. You've got to look at, you know, as you say, the statistics, is this statistically significant? Yep. You know, and something like that for all those playing at home is, you know, when you're comparing one piece of data to another piece of data, is that, is it real? Is that a real comparison when we say threefold change in, you know, whatever? So that's really, really important. Okay. Let's talk about your top findings was, and I, I guess... As we're going through those, and Mm -hmm. I know this is like baseline, but was there anything that kind of shocked you a bit or were you like, I'm surprised, but I'm not really surprised? I think a lot of it, yeah, I I think it was a mix of both. To be honest, the, the absolute top finding was that one in two Australian women are currently suffering from mental health issues. And to me, I was like, well, that's a lot of women who are struggling with their mental health right now. The the stat that surprised me the most was that out of those women, only 48% of them were seeking help. Mm. So there's a lot of women out there who are struggling and going, oh, I don't have time. I've got other things to do. It's not that important. Whatever it is, there was a bunch of triggers and reasons for that, but they just weren't putting themselves first. And that for me, I'm like, it's not surprising, but I'm annoyed. Like I'm annoyed yeah. at it because I'm a woman myself and I also go, oh, sometimes I do do that. I put my family first or other yes. priorities first. And so, yeah, there was a lot of things in the research that you're like, oh, I kind of understand it. But once you mm-hmm. see it as a solid number, it does surprise you. It kind of like slaps you in the face and you're like, oh, this is a big problem and we need to do something about it. So that was the one, I guess, overarching finding that we had and to supplement that as well. So one in two women were experiencing mental health issues, but one in four had severe mental health issues. Okay. So that, that again, that was surprising too because that's that's a lot of the population that are struggling with really severe mental health issues. And if a lot of those women aren't seeking help, that's a lot of people walking around that you know, really need supports in place to help them get through day-to-day life. So Mm, that's a big mental load to kind of carry on your shoulders as well by yourself. Exactly. So, yeah, so that was the, I guess, the big one. We did have um, out of the research itself as well, like the top five issues um, affecting women in Australia for 2022 and the top one being stress at 69%, 69%, which not surprising. Yeah. The second was anxiety and anxiety disorders. So 44% of women struggling with anxiety and anxiety disorders. 38% of women had body image issues mm. and 27% of women had affective or mood disorders. And that includes um, depression in there as well. And then the, the number five one was psychological distress at 25%. They're big numbers. That's real numbers. Yeah. <laughs> we need to fix it. So now I guess the 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 challenge is okay, well, what do we do to solve this problem? Yeah, exactly. Well, I I wanna pause that because I wanna talk about like, you know, what happens 
after we have yeah. all this data. So let's let's just shelf later. let's Sorry. shelf that one. No, no, no. Let's <laughs> shelf that one. Just so the listeners know, because they're probably all sitting there going, WTF again, surprise, but not surprised. Yeah. Okay, now what the hell do we do with all of that? Yeah. But I want to deep dive into a little bit of the data because as I said, yeah. I'm like a complete nut burger when it comes to um the totally data. I, I, I just I, took it. I took it and ran. <laughs> I just, I just like, I'm just like, oh, wow. I get really keen and interested in, I, I guess, you know, because I've always been very open and honest on this podcast and in our weekly Fill Your Cup Village emails around my own mental health challenges and the fact that, you know, whilst I wasn't technically diagnosed with postnatal anxiety because, you know, access to mental health care professionals and pushing my ego out of the way probably had something to do with it. But I I still, and like, I'm an anxious person. Like, it's just kind of part of me now. And so, when I see data like this, I want to understand what's going on. And particularly like this, I'm going to read a little synopsis from the report. It said, and we're going to go back to that, our top, the top finding around stress. Stress is the top mental health issue facing Australian women today. In fact, one in three are currently seeking help from stress-related issues. While traditionally stress has been more prevalent for women aged 40 and above, it's women under 29 who are now facing significantly higher levels of stress. Do we know why this is happening? What is the shift that is going on there? And I know like people might go, oh, you know, it's only 10 years kind of difference moving from 40 to kind of under 29. But what's going on in the world? well, what's going on here in Australia that you Mm -hmm. think is is affecting this? Look, a lot of it is just trying to read between the lines of this research and what, what it's telling us. And I think for those in the under 40 age brackets, their experience, their life stages are so varied. They could be coming out of high school. They could be entering the workforce, possibly getting married or having children, starting families, new jobs. There's so much that goes on when you're mm. when you're under 40. And I think breaking, we tried to break it down into each individual bracket so that we could try and understand what the triggers were for, for each different life stage. But without going into each of those life stages really specifically, I think what we can see is I think the digital age has a lot to do with it as well. Mm. That, you know, women under 39 were at increased risk in 2022 of suffering from a moderate or severe mental health disorder because they were they flagged that issues like body image, eating disorders and psychological mm. distress were becoming more prevalent in their lives. So you can see that things like body image, like that's a really hard one because you can see that some of the risk factors and some of the triggers was social media and the way that that's portrayed online and how mm. they fit into that realm. And that is a topic that can, you know you can talk about for hours. Um, yeah. But I think that that obviously has a lot to do with it. But also the mental load and the juggle of being mm-hmm. a woman under 40, mm-hmm. um, if you happen to be a working mother um, with a lot of conflicting priorities, your time is really limited. And even if you're not a, a mother and you're just a, a working woman professionally, you could be looking after your your 
aging parents and you could have family members that are struggling or do it, you know, there's a lot of things that fall on women's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's really shining through in this research because it's showing that women are so conflicted about trying to keep everyone else happy, but also not realizing that they're struggling themselves. And if they just took that second to breathe and go, right, I can't pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We would have a lot, um, a lot better handle on on women's mental health in Australia. And I think you know, fifty seven percent of of women in this bracket didn't realise the importance of getting mental health support. So <sighs> that's a lot. <laughs> and twenty eight percent of them said they didn't have time. Oh, they were the top two. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And then also, like, I would, I would love to know, was there? Was there a stat around, you know, people who then sought help? But, like, I just feel like the system is so under pressure at the moment. Like, you know, we have mums reach out to us, whether they be clients or just people we see on social media or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, my God, do you know of a a mental health expert who can help me with, you know, I'm a newborn mum or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like they're, the wait lists are so long at the moment was there a stat around, you know, potentially people who were, who then sought help and like got knocked back? But yeah, so we saw that. I'm just checking it now, actually. That was a very <laughs> I'm completely question. putting you on the spot. I'm like, get that Excel spreadsheet, Katrina. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, okay. So of those in the 30 to 39 year age bracket, mm-hmm. um. 51% of them sought help, so slightly higher than the generalised average of 48%. So they sought help. But what we found is that their triggers and what they actually, oh, sorry, who they actually sought help from was different to other age brackets. So firstly, they went to a GP, which was 48% of people in that age bracket did that, and went to see psychiatrists and mental health professionals which is really, that's promising. Like that's really good to see that they're they're reaching the right people. But the things that they said is that they also have a lot of financial stress and pressures. So 27% said that the financial stress and pressures were one of the highest triggers for their mental health issues. Right. So it's interesting to see that some of the most expensive options are the ones that they're choosing to reach out to, but they're finding it really stressful to seek that help that they need because of the financial side of things. Yeah. And we also that 22% of people generally weren't seeking help because of cost-related um, yes. issues. It was too expensive. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you 100%. know, a lot of n- numbers flying around here, there and everywhere. But I think generally it is an issue within Australia at the moment that there are a lot of people who want to seek help and either can't afford it or can't access it. Wait lists are incredibly long yeah there's a lack of professionals available that are even taking new patients um Mm. and that's Mm. feedback that we hear all the time and I'm not necessarily sure how we solve that problem as a foundation we can try and do everything we can to lobby the government and get as much awareness out there as possible but at the end of the day it is a government issue and they need to try and step in and make sure that there are processes in place and safeguards so that women aren't falling through the cracks here. Because for a woman to put their hand up and go, I need help and to actually make that first phone call, like that's half the battle. And if that first phone call they make is, oh, hello, yes, we'll take you in 12 months, 
yeah. it's not going to solve the problem. Um, yeah. That woman may not reach out again. So Absolutely. that for me is the real disconnect between this is really great research, but how does it operate in the real world? And I'd really, really love to see that change. Mm, we have just uh, heard the announcement here in Tasmania that our one and only private mental health hospital is going to be closed in six weeks. And it housed, I think it was about 30 or 38 beds for those with mental health issues, addiction, and it also was the one and only hospital that housed eight beds for our mother and baby unit, and it is being closed. So to say that we are at a crisis point here in Tasmania is an understatement, (laughs) but we're getting a new stadium for football. (laughs) You're getting a footy team. So that's me on my soapbox. I know they're two different (laughs) things. I know one is a private hospital run by a private organisation and one is being backed by federal government, but Uh I'm just going to leave that there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, exercise is an important part of mental well-being. Um, You know, there is that link between physical and mental health. So That's correct. I'm sure we're going to have lots and lots of jobs through the building of, of this. So, yeah, let's just hope that there's mums and girlfriends and aunties and grandmothers who can drive their family members to this stadium in a very sane state afterwards. Um, But yes, again, that's my soapbox. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's deep dive into menopause. Now, I don't think we've, I'm just trying to recall, I don't think I've had someone on yet, and I say yet because I'm in the process of working out who I'm going to have to talk about menopause more specifically in terms of like physicalities and symptoms and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But that was I guess one of the things that sparked my attention and I'm trying to scroll through onto the actual report where... Yeah, it's a very small part of our report at the moment. We are expanding on it in future years. But obviously menopause is, you know, it's something that affects every woman at a later stage in life and there's Mm -hmm. still obviously a lot of taboo around it and about talking about it, which I find quite odd Yeah, it's like menstruation, menstruation and menopause. (gasps) We're not going to talk about that. It's like, okay. Yeah, but it affects everyone. So, yeah, yeah, it's an an interesting one. And then there's also, you know, perimenopause as well. That's just as important to talk about, you know, leading into menopause. And, I've yeah, I've had the privilege of learning a lot about it, yeah, over my time here at the foundation. But I think being able to highlight that there are physical ailments that, women who are experiencing menopause go through that can transpose into mental health issues. Mm. And I think that's the reason why we wanted to flag it because it's an important life stage that older women go through and not even older women. There are some younger women who go through it as well. But the women who were seeking assistance for physical menopause um, symptoms weren't necessarily seeking help for their mental health issues associated with that which is really interesting. And our research showed that of the female population in Australia, currently 6% of women were going through menopause, um, 
which isn't a large statistic. But Yeah, I would have thought that would be more, but I guess I'm not fully across it all. Like how t- typically, like how long does menopause go for? Like, <laughs> I'm not the expert on that. Um, I wish I knew off the top of my head, but yeah, it's, it can, it can affect women for, for years um, yeah. going through that process, I hear. But this is just of, of the ones that we surveyed and across Australia, 6% of them were going through it. Mm-hmm. And of those women, we then said, okay, well, how's your mental health? And so what we found is that 82% of those are experiencing stress, 50% of them experiencing anxiety, mm-hmm. and 46% experiencing body image issues, they were just the top three. But, you know, there were other ones like 9% of them were experiencing self-harm and suicidal thoughts. Oh. And, you know, that's that's concerning as well. Like that topic in itself is concerning across any life stage. Yeah. But I think the thing to note is that all of the women who were experiencing menopause experienced every mental health issue that we researched at a higher rate than the general population. Wow. So that was the overall finding. Yeah. That's slightly frightening and I'm Mm. just trying to think, is it, do you think it's because, I mean, we're looking at, you know, the generation that it it is, Is Mm. is it this kind of like let, you know, you just crack on? type of mentality and like we're just not going to talk about it we're not going to do much about it like well, how many of sorry did you say how many of them were actually seeking help as well because i, I mean that I, number off the from, top of my head from personal experience you know i know women of that kind of demographic mm-hmm. and it is either to like it's either like a lack of education around the fact that, you know, the symptoms that they're experiencing, you know, they're like, oh, well, that's just normal. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Menopause is normal, but, like, Mm. there are things that you can do to improve your quality of life as well. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not just this, oh, okay, well, I've just got to an age now where I just need to suck eggs and as I said, crack on. Like if mm. you speak with your GP or a counsellor or a psychologist or something like that, there are things that you can do to help the way that you're living. Do you, like, did you get any data around, I, I, I we guess, got a, We got a bit of like qualitative data around like some of the taboo factors and like what women were experiencing. And just reading out a quote here from somebody from the research, she said, for me, menopause is the last female taboo it was an overwhelming anxiety that got me during menopause and so that's that's really interesting that she got she experienced the anxiety later in her life um, Mm -hmm. during this period of menopause and you know she also goes on to say well now I make it a point of telling my younger friends to be aware read up and talk to your doctor about it don't let it fester so I think there's also a lot of not that like like a lack of education around it about what actually happens to, to you during menopause when you are about to experience it because I feel like a lot of people are underinformed and I know I definitely am underinformed of when that time comes for me to experience it I'm like well yeah. you know who would have thought that your mental health could be as impact, heavily impacted as it is and what kind of 
education programs are out there. It's not like they cover that in high school when you go through, I you know, know right? <laughs> your, um, you know, that whatever the um, subject sex is. Ed, health, health, sex ed, health and health education or whatever no, is it all like, so- <laughs> which is like, I don't know about you, but like was off the back of like home economics. So it's like one week, exactly. one week, you know, we're making, I don't know, vanilla slice and then the next minute we're talking about menstruation and practicing yep. putting condoms over a, a banana like that's right that's it so, potato chip like we were lucky to be able to like label a 2d diagram of the female and male anatomy and that like yeah. that was it period done okay yeah. box ticked let's keep moving no one ever yes. talks about menopause but I wanted to say because I became aware of this book through the lovely Natasha, Dr. Natasha Vavrek, who's the director at The mm-hmm. Bubble here in Hobart and Launceston. Mm-hmm. She recommended this book called The M Word it's mm-hmm. by Dr. Ginny Mansberg and the byline is How to Thrive in Menopause. Great. And I'm I'm going to I'm going to throw my mum under the bus. I'm pretty sure she listens to this. If not, mm-hmm. her friends definitely do because I know. <laughs> hi, friends. Hi, mum. Hi, mum. I bought this book for her. I literally, I, I, after I spoke to Tash, I was like, I'm going to get my mum that book. And I got it delivered to her house and she said to me, that is the best book I've ever read. It explains okay. so much. I mean, she comes, from, again, from a generation where you don't talk about these things and I think mm. she's like <laughs> I think she's lent it out as like a little library hold for some of her friends as well like check this out and I'm like yes educate yourself ladies like you don't yeah, have well, to how else would you lives. know yes exactly how else, how else would you know unless you talk to your friends who are going through it at the same time as you there's really not a lot out there and it's not like you go back to school or you do anything it's like it's on you as the woman yeah. to go out there and find the information. Otherwise, just suffer through it and try and work it out as you go. And that's the, that's the hard thing um, yeah. for women in that life stage. And I kind of feel like, you know, I don't know about you, Katrina, but like I get bombarded with like a ton of, you know, like online workshop stuff through like Instagram or Facebook yeah. or whatever it is. I just don't think our parents are the generation where they're like, oh, my God, I just did this online workshop on menopause. Yeah. It saved my life, you know. Like they're no. old school. They want a book. Yeah. They definitely want a book. And, yeah, I don't know how many people live, listen to podcasts. Obviously, a couple of my mum's friends do. Mm. Shout out. Hello. Okay. Were there anything else kind of like that cropped up with the whole menopause discussion? In, Not in, in the menopause discussion, but definitely in like women's specific issues. Like we yes. went in, in 22, 2022, we went into like things like PCOS, endometriosis and fertility challenges as well mm-hmm. and the pregnancy and the perinatal period. So we got some interesting stats through that. So for instance, um, of those who have polycystic ovary syndrome, 40% are likely to have a severe mental illness. Now, remember oh. I told you before it was one in four for the general population, so it's yeah. 25% for the general population. If you have PCOS, it's 40%. Like, wow, that's, that's big. So these women are obviously going through some really trying times with their mental health Yeah, and trying to work out that connection, like 
now we know there's a connection, right, between mm-hmm. polycystic ovary syndrome and severe mental health. It's like yeah. it, no one else has flagged that before or yes. statistically flagged that. Um, yeah. And so the same can be said for endometriosis. Their numbers are 32% are likely to have a severe mental health condition. So, again, very much higher than the general population and, you know, you spoke about it before, the types of things that women with endo experience and you kind of go, yeah, I, I don't blame them for ha- ha- struggling a little bit more, but how do we help them? That's that's the thing. And how do we make tailored services for these yeah. women suffering from endometriosis and, and PCOS, for instance? What's the other thing? Oh, like fertility challenges as well. So infertility, oh, yeah. fertility challenges, that is so mentally taxing on a lot of women. Yeah. Experience, they experience things like psychological distress, anxiety, depression, personality disorders, all of these thoughts of self-harm and, and suicide as well at a rate higher than that of the general population. And what was scary was in 2022, we found that women experiencing fertility challenges had uh, 20% of those women were at risk of self-harm and suicidal thoughts, which was Mm. a lot higher than the general population. Yeah. And again, how do we help these women? Because that is a terrifying statistic. Mm. That is, yeah, it's quite alarming when you get data like that in front of you. And so, Mm. okay, so with all of that, now let's take that topic off the shelf and talk about how and what you're going to do with this data. Because to me, I think, you know, as someone who looks at things in a bit of a holistic view, I'm a huge advocate for just bringing different kind of practitioners together. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you know, we need to start implementing kind of like an awareness campaign around the fact like to GPs and and counsellors or nutritionists. Like, for example, Dr. Steph Perotta is a nutritionist and she helps with endo and PCOS. Like if someone came to her, if she was aware that these people have such a huge increased kind of incidence of severe mental health issues, then it'd be like, okay, well, you know, It'd be a conversation of, oh, you know, have you spoken to a psychologist or, Mm -hmm. you know, in touch with that? Is that the type of thing that we're kind of gearing towards now that we've got that information? Yeah. So part of the, I guess, motivator for having, for doing this research in the first place is that as the leader in women's mental health in Australia, we wanted to make sure that the programs, services, um, and further research that we invest in is really informed. And so at the Lip Timber Foundation, we're all about making an informed impact. And that just means making sure that we have everything at our disposal to make sure that we spend the money that we raise in the most appropriate ways possible. And that comes into play with this research because we can go, right, what are the critical areas that we've outlined from this research this year? And how do we then direct our funding into those critical areas so that we can try and, and make a difference. So so we offer a grants um, program um, every year. So you can, organisations can apply for funding if they meet the certain criteria and that is going to be and is based on our research. So there's a number of different criteria, different areas, and it's all about 
women's mental health issues by life stage, by minority group or by specific mental um, health issue. Mm-hmm. And if they meet those criteria and those needs and have programs and services, initiatives or further research available to help positively impact that area, then they may receive funding from us. So we're, I guess, a national, like a national body, but we lean heavily on other organisations already doing amazing work and we mm-hmm. provide them that funding to further their impact. So, for example, some of the things that the Timber Foundation have invested in to date um, up until this point, we have a Yanabul Najida pre- and postnatal mental health program that we invested in in Melbourne. We do youth mental health resilience programs in schools. We invested in the Body Confidence book series for young girls under six, mm-hmm. um, which preventative stuff is just as important oh, as, yes. as, you know, doing, get, you know, designing programs and investing in programs once the, the um, issue has already presented itself. Yeah. But, yeah, and then we also invested in things like um, a gendered violence prevention program called the Lead for Change. And recently we also invested in online training programs addressing the psychosocial aspects of prenatal diagnosis, which is Mm. another really tricky area, and also like support services, so mental health recovery programs for women survivors of exploitation, certain anxiety portals and resources, postpartum support programs and mental health and wellness programs for carers as well. So for female carers. So that's just a rough overview. Like it's very broad. It's like every age bracket, every... Yeah. um, But you're catering to the masses though because, you know, as long as it's got something to do with women's mental health and that's what I like about it it's just like okay we're just going to try and get across the board on this and that is what you know as a researcher you need funding like that's like the number one thing that you need to like get get it out there get the data then learn what you learn and then make improvements thereafter so I think yeah exactly and it's important that we invest in these programs that I just outlined but ultimately a lot of the funding goes towards us in reinvesting into this research year on year on year so that we can have that uh, longer term perspective on what kind of impact we're making and whether or not women are having better mental health outcomes or worse mental health outcomes but also to generate awareness campaigns and we will be running one of those this year as well because based on this the research it outlined very clearly and loudly that women are not prioritizing themselves and so the Lip Timber Foundation is going to make sure that we try and reach the masses of women and say you're important too fill that cup go and seek support so we'll be running a new awareness campaign nationally for that as well this year so yeah, a lot of exciting things on the horizon for mm. us. Um, it is it is that classic thing though, like, you know, you see the air safety brief as you're on the plane and I know like this is not new, it, like I'm not saying anything new here, but it's that classic thing of like put your oxygen mask on yourself first <laughs> before you help others. There is a reason for that. Exactly. There is a reason for that. You know, and, you know, we say this to our mums that we look after all the time, 
And this is why I called our postpartum doula business Fill Your Cup because mm-hmm. you need to. If you don't, mm-hmm. you're, I don't know who you're, who you think you're helping because you're not going to be helping anyone. You're going to be so down and out. It's just not going to work out. And I think also I think that there is a huge cultural issue here in Australia in particular around two things. One, we don't like to appear as women to be doing well at things. Like there's Mm. this tall poppy syndrome and, you know, we kind of, kind of say like self-deprecating comments about Mm. ourselves all the time and, you know, it. like we need to start, I think, building each other up as well, working together as a village. Don't be ashamed to say I'm having a really tough time right now and I really need help. Like I'm the number one person for, you know, to say shit. I really find it hard to ask for help. I have mm-hmm. two amazing girlfriends who live down the road and I've known them for years and it's still something every single day that I kind of have to practice and go, it would be easier if they came over and helped me with blah, blah, blah when I'm parenting mm-hmm. solo. You know, my husband has to mm-hmm. travel for work a lot and so mm-hmm. I have just had to practice over and over and over again to go, who wants to co-parent with me this weekend? <laughs> you know, like I don't care what it looks like, even if it's just going to the park together so we can just co-parent and I can speak to another adult. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, little things you like that. that. But I think it's it's funny because you you've nailed it. Like that's exactly women do that. And I feel like even sometimes I do it myself because you don't want to be a burden on somebody else that is why you don't ask or you're like oh I really could use a hand with xyz but I don't want to put it on them I'll just stress myself out and do it yeah like try and fit it all in and that's the hard part because that's a societal and generational shift I feel like that needs to be made and that's a lot harder but you're right it's it's just trying to go there's no shame in it yeah and if I need to put my hand up every now and again I think it's worth it and it's yeah. just going people wouldn't offer if they didn't actually want to help. And and you know what I found people love helping you. If you ask like very rarely do people go no nah, I don't want to do that. And if yeah, they exactly. say no then it you know it's a, it's a legitimate thing like oh, I'm really sorry I've got a like an arrangement mm-hmm. already or like whatever the case is. But the other I I think the other thing is we need to stop kind of building up this super mum yeah. character. Yeah. I don't know yeah. who the hell that is and who started yeah. it, but you need to squash that because oh, yeah, you're not going to get a medal. Um, you're not going to get a medal for being a super mum, taking on the entire mental load of everything. And like, it's, it, it just doesn't happen. You, we are setting women up for failure with this whole mm-hmm. superhero concept. I love Wonder Woman. I dressed up as Wonder Woman, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago when I went to Comic-Con in San Diego. I love her as a comic book hero, but that is yeah. it. Leave her in the books. It is not here for women running every day. Yeah. Um, it's stuff. not something to aspire for. 
that's um, correct. Aspired to sorry, because it, it's unachievable, and that's what causes half of the problems. Because yeah. mentally, you feel like, oh, I have to achieve this, I have to do this, I have to yeah. be everything to everyone. But then there's also the pressure of, oh, you need to look after yourself too. Oh, and yes. You, need to, you know, so, <laughs> and I'm all here to be like, yeah, you got to look after yourself, you know, and not necessarily at the expense of all the other things because they're important too. Yeah. But it's like, okay, well, how do you learn to prioritize a bit better or learn how to say no Yeah. in some instances? Like people will come to you for things all the time and I know it's a habit of mine. I'll never say no to a girlfriend mm-hmm. that needs something, right? But if it's not urgent and it's going to be so much more taxing on you and it takes away from your you time that you need to try and support yourself and your mental health, then sometimes it's okay to say no. And yeah, yeah and just making sure that you can try and like simplify your life to take out those stresses. You know, I know my husband and I sat down and did that last year. We're like, okay, what's what's on our plate? How do we simplify our lives a little bit? Take out some of these stress points. And it's, you know, once you actually sit down and identify what they are, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, I can change this in my life. I can't change this. Yeah. This is, you know, that's what it is. But this thing I have a lot more control over, I can change that. And that will help take some of the burden off. And that was a really, really good exercise for us to go through as a family. And I feel a lot better for it too. So I don't know if that little note helps anybody. I love that. Um, I'm also a huge advocate for Eve Rodsky's book, Fair Play, where it's all about rebalancing um, household chores so yes, everyone would have heard me bang on about that already. If you sounds like I need to do a lot of reading. Yeah, when you when you kind of become a podcast host and you get to interview people like you and you learn about all these amazing new resources and stuff. I reckon I could like write, I probably couldn't write a book yet, but I could yeah, I could write quite an extensive list of like all the amazing resources that people have shared with me over the past couple of years. Katrina, we are going to run out of time before we run out of topics. I know that for sure. But did (laughs) you want to, I guess, we're going to do a little rapid fire at the end, but can you tell us what you've got coming up for the Liptember Foundation, any campaigns and You've already alluded to this, like the new data that's going to come out for 2023. Yeah. So we've got quite a a full schedule this year. Obviously, in the next few months, we'll be running the um, mental health promotion and awareness campaign about getting women to to go out there and seek support. So that's, um, that's coming up. The new research for 2023 will be released in June of 23. So really exciting to see how the stats have changed if, mm-hmm. if they have. So, yeah, that will be coming in hot and then followed by our annual flagship fundraising event, which is Liptember in the month of September. So that's where we encourage women to pop a bit of colour on their lips um, to start a conversation about women's mental health and raise raise money through the month of September which will help us support all of these amazing things that we're doing, the research and all of the initiatives and programs that we that we invest in. So that's what's coming up for us in the next few months. It's a lot. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm excited. So if any of your listeners want to get involved in September, sign up, please get on board and support women's mental health. Um, it would mean a lot. 
I reckon we might have to pull something together. The old fill your cup village. I feel oh. like we've got like a little, we might be able to pull together like a little reel or something of oh, perfect. Bit, of, bit of color on the lips. And then, yeah, we, I'm sure we can pull together some fundraising. Katrina, we always finish off with our rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> what is your top tip for mums? Top tip for mums would be say yes to to say yes to the mothers, the mother-in-laws wanting to help around the house, make you meals. Just say yes. Say yes. <laughs> and I love it. Help you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like? Do you have a go-to resource for like mums or anything like that? Speaking of like books and oh well, yeah, you, you've already said oh god, I need to read some more books. But did you? Yeah. Do you have like a go-to? Um, yeah, I um when I became a new mum for the first time, I really went to the Wonder Weeks to really help me understand really? some of the like development yep. milestones. Yeah. That was yep. really helpful. Yeah, I think that would be my little little go-to just to help me understand when I'm in for cloudy periods or not and just to try and understand <laughs> what, the, <laughs> what the hell babies are all about because they're complex. Um yeah. <laughs> they are complex creatures. Absolutely. And our final question is, what do you keep on your bedside table? I have a book and a water bottle. Okay. Do you mind sharing your book? Uh, my book at the moment is about, <laughs> it's about understanding toddler behaviors. And huh? I can't actually remember the, <laughs> I can't remember the title or anything. I think it's Ross it's Green. Oh, uh, okay. It's not the whole brain child, is it? No, it's not the whole brain child, although that's on my list too. But um, oh, if yeah, I could get something similar. Dan Siegel, who wrote that, if I could get him on the podcast, Dan, Dan, if you're listening, <laughs> I want Come you on, on the podcast. I think I've tried to get him on once, like about a year ago, I think I invited him and then I just was like, oh, Renee, like you're just this small fry from Australia, you know, that classic self-deprecating words about ourselves. But you never know. It's one of those things. If you don't put it out there, the universe won't know about it. Maybe I will try again for this year. I would, oh, my God, I would die. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, okay, Whole Brain Child is amazing too. So, yes, definitely knock that onto your list. Where can we find you? We've spoken about the campaigns. If the listeners yes. want to get on board, where do we find all the resources for the Lip Timber Foundation? Yes. So our main foundation website is liptemberfoundation.org.au. And then from there, there's lots of links to find out about our fundraising campaigns and grants and research and all of those types of things. So that's the best, best spot to find us. But we're also on socials. Our handle is just at liptember. And we've got some really um, cool content on there and really like consumable pieces of, you know, mental health tips and things that people can um, get on board with if they want to follow us. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for all the hard work that you and the foundation are doing to put these stats together. Because I think as we've kind of highlighted today, we need this information to work out how we're going to move the needle in areas mm-hmm. that need most. But then because you're doing this longitudinal kind of research, we can see if there's emerging areas that need yes. a refocus or that need further attention and, and things like that. And when we 
start to put, you know, taboo topics like menopause and endometriosis on, I guess, the stage and say, hey, 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 we need some further funding and we need some education around this and some more air because let's shift it and not make them taboo topics because they're all really natural things that are happening to women across Australia and the world. So thank you, thank you so oh, much for all I'm the work so, that you're, you're doing. You're so welcome. <laughs> I'm really excited to have shared it with you. Um, I can chat anyone's ear off about this stuff. So, it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's nice to, <laughs> to chat, it, chat your ear off for a purpose. Um, <laughs> so that's nice. Amazing. Thank you so much, Katrina. Um, All of the resources, including this amazing report, if anyone else wants to deep dive into it like I did, will be on the show notes. So yes, until next time, listeners, see you later. See ya. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.